been in a series uh, walking systematically through Galatians for a whole number of weeks. We took a break for Easter. We're kind of jumping back in. And uh, just a few weeks left as we kind of wind down, because uh, Galatians is only six chapters long. Uh, and some of you are like, well, why didn't it just take six weeks to do this? Um, but uh, we're taking our time, and so we've walked through it. And uh, we want to cover a big portion of Scripture today. Uh, but one of the primary themes that we have found uh, in Galatians is that Paul is talking to uh, these Gentile believers. So they, ha- they are Gentiles. They are not uh, Jewish by birth. They are not, fr- they are not from ethnic Israel. And yet they have come to believe that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Messiah of the world. And so they are Gentile converts. And he's been talking to them over and over and over again about how they are, in fact, free in Christ. And, and a lot of ways in which he talks about being free in Christ is that they have been welcomed into the family of God by faith and by faith alone. That there are no other requirements, there are no, nothing else that they need to do. It is simply by placing their faith in the Savior, Jesus Christ, they are welcomed into full membership into God's family. What we have in the second part of chapter 4 is, in fact, Paul is going to give them one more word picture to communicate this truth, right? And so, and we can accurately say one more. He's doing it once again, because over and over and over again, from a lot of different angles, he's been trying to really nail this point home. And so what he does is, once again, he's going to give them a word picture to nail down for the Galatians, that they are free in Christ and that they are fully part of God's family and God's people by faith. And this time, the word picture that he's going to use is from Genesis and the children of Abraham. Now, let's just pause here and say that Paul loves to use the Old Testament story of Israel to make his point. Again, his point is that you don't have to be ethnic Israel in order to be Christian, but yet he's using the story of Israel uh, to, to make that point. And he's doing that precisely because the agitators, that's what Paul calls them, the agitators, that's those who have come into the region of Galatia, they're preaching a, an alternative gospel, which says, in fact, that if you want to inherit all the promises of God, you have to adopt Jewish practices and laws and customs, namely circumcision, if you want to be part of the inner group. So the agitators were saying there is an inner circle of, of, of those who are uh, the people of God, and there's an outer circle, and if you want to be on the inner inner circle, you got to be Jewish in custom and practice. He was basically saying to the Gentiles, you have to become Jewish if you want to be on the inner circle. That's the message of the agitators. Uh, And they were using the story of Israel to make their point. And so Paul, in order to flip that on its head and to make his point, also uses uh, the story of Israel uh, and God's family. And so the story he uses this time is the story of of, uh, Hagar and her son Ishmael and Sarah and her son Isaac. And the story goes like this. Uh, In fact, the story is found, if you want to read it this afternoon or this week, the story is found in Genesis chapter 16. But the story of Hagar and Sarah is found in Genesis 16, uh, which is after the promises that God has made to Abraham in Genesis 15. The promises, or the promise, was in fact that Abraham would have uh, numerous descendants, so many descendants that they would outnumber the stars of the sky, and that all people on earth would be blessed through this one man, Abraham. The problem was, though, that his wife Sarah uh, was barren and was unable to have children. And so you have a promise that is absolutely dependent upon kids, descendants, 
And then his wife, though, was not able to have kids, at least not yet. And so they have a problem, right? So Sarah suggested to Abraham, uh, according to the customs of the time, that he should take on, uh, or he should take her uh, slave girl as his concubine, have children by her, which would count as Sarah's own, and Abraham agreed. But the plan misfires badly. Hagar, the slave girl in question, becomes pregnant, but then proceeds to celebrate uh, her superiority over childless Sarah. Uh, and it becomes, uh, it becomes just a mess of relational difficulty. So uh, Sarah then treats Hagar poorly. Hagar runs away, eventually returns, gives birth to a son, Ishmael. And then Genesis chapter 17, God speaks to Sarah and tells her that even in her old age, uh, and we, our best guess is that she was somewhere in her 90s, um, so in, even in her old age, uh, he is going, that God is going to keep his promise and she will bear a child. She, in fact, does, and his name is Isaac. So in this story, Abraham and Sarah receive a promise from God that they will have innumerable descendants, uh, but upon not being able to have children, they take things into their own hands and try to fulfill the promise of God, not by, by their own means. And they, So they've been given a word from God. They don't see any means to make it happen. And so they go about and try to fulfill God's promise in their life, but by their own means. Now, this could be a sermon in and of itself. Do you agree? Uh, but this is not what, what we want to do today. We want to keep going on in the story and see what Paul is dealing with in Galatians. And so what Paul does is he actually draws a comparison between the two. In fact, he says outright, what I'm giving you is a metaphor. Um, So he says these two women represent two different covenants. And what he does is he compares uh, being a child of one versus being a child of the other. Are you a child of Ishmael or are you a child of, in fact, Isaac? And the, the, the comparisons that he draws are this. He says Hagar and Ishmael are in fact children of flesh. Uh, they are children of slaves. Uh, they, uh, Ishmael goes on to in, um, inhabit the uh, Mount Sinai, which is in Arabia. And so he says, okay, this is uh, the, the Arabia crowd or the child of Arabia. And they are in fact cast out. And so on the Hagar and Ishmael side, you have flesh, a child of flesh, a child of slavery, of Sinai, and cast out. Compare that then to, the, to what he says about Sarah and her child Isaac, which is this, if you are following in this line, you are a child of a promise. You are in fact free from Jerusalem and you receive an inheritance. And so he, it's, it's a child of flesh or a child of the promise. Are you a slave or are you free? Are you uh, Sinai and Arabia or Jerusalem? Are you cast out or are you one who inherits or uh, the one who has an inheritance? And what the, the, essentially the comparison that he's making is this. He says all of this in order to say that you are a child of the promise. You, by faith, are, have, have been brought into and are part of God's people. Um, now, if you feel like, hey, I think I've read that before, uh, then you are right. 
right? And so you're thinking, is he going to do anything brand new? Well, I think I've said before, and I want to just remind us again, that when Paul is writing his letters, he's often making logical arguments in, in sort of these circular loops that go like this. And so he'll, he'll bring us to a certain point, and then he'll back up, and then he, in order to just bring us a little bit further, and then he'll back up. And so the argument that he's making is a bit, is a bit like this. It's a bit like drawing a straight line, but with little loop-de-loos, if you know what I mean. Uh, and so he's not just going to blow through the argument altogether. And so again, he's just bringing a word picture, reminding them that they are in fact by faith part of the uh, authentic, fam- authentic and new family of God in which God is building. Uh, so that's what he's doing. Um, and he's doing it as a, from the story of Israel as a way of saying, uh, you now have a corporate identity that is congruent with the Israel story. Now, again, what God is doing is something brand new, right? He's raising up a brand new group of people that we'll eventually know to be called the church. But at this point, they probably don't know that or they're just getting a handle on that. And so he's raising up a brand new people called the church. But, what he, but he's using the story of Israel as a way of saying, as a way of solidifying all of that. And so he says, your story, the story of what God is doing and is being brand new is congruent with the Israel story. And he, in essence, he is saying this, now by faith, there is one people of God and the Israel story is in fact your story. It is your story. The question is, is will the Galatians actually learn to accept their new identity in Christ or will they believe the message of the agitators and will they continue to live in bondage under the law and ultimately in bondage to sin as well? And so even though the gospel has made them free, will they continue to live as those who are outside of the promises of God? Paul, again, is trying and trying and trying to communicate to them that by faith you inherit the promises of God. That whatever promises God has made to the people of Israel is also true for this new people called the church. And that's the point. The point is the Israel story, Galatians, is in fact your story. Now let's pause here. I think the point for us is also to realize that the story of God given to us in the Bible is, in fact, our story. All of it. Not just part of it. Not just the part on the kind of the second, fourth, right? Because you, like, you look at your Bible and it's like almost all Old Testament. And eventually you get to the New Testament and you're like, oh, that part? That part isn't just our story. The whole thing is also our story. That you today are a child of the promise made to Abraham. And we're so far removed from Abraham that we sometimes don't even get it really solidified in our mind that he actually existed. That it's not just like Abraham isn't just a metaphor. He's not just sort of a a, a ghostly figure out there somewhere. But Abraham existed in real history. And God said, I'm going to bless all people through 
you. And so out of Abraham comes the nation of Israel. Out of Israel comes Jesus Christ. And so now, through faith in Jesus, you are welcomed as a child of God into the new family that God is building. And you are a child of the promise made to Abraham. Amen? And so, in fact... This is the the very same point that Paul is trying to make to the Galatians is precisely the point that I would want us to understand today. That you, brother and sister in Christ, are a child of the promise made made to Abraham. In other words, the church's story is also Israel's story. That the church's story is not sort of just sort of like tangentially related to the Israel, Israel story. And there's kind of these parallel tracks. Here's, here's a story of Israel that God is still doing. And then here's a story of the church that God is still doing. The church's story is the Israel story. In Jesus Christ, these two stories have come together and they are now the same story. Which means when we read this book, we need to realize we're reading our story. It's not someone else's story. It's our story. And it's the church's story. The church's story from the very beginning, from the promise made to Abraham to Pentecost and beyond, the whole thing is our story. And our story helps identify who we are, right? And so if we just sort of, if we just say that this is just kind of tangentially related to this or God is doing sort of a different thing with the church, uh, then we sort of just kind of cast aside anything that we feel like is not ours. But the whole thing is our story. The whole thing is our story from beginning to end. Now, beginning with chapter 5, verse 1, we turn a corner in Galatians. And remember, I've said to you that for Paul, all theology is practical theology. And so what that means is that in all of his letters, as he lays out tons and tons of theology, he eventually gets to a, what is usually a therefore. Now it's not quite, it's not, but it's, it's, it's there. It's a therefore, it's a hinge. It's like, I'm going to hang all the theology on this post. We're going to turn a corner and start talking about why it, why it matters in your life. And so uh, in chapter five, verse one, we get, the, we get the swing from all this theology to now, what is the practical nature of what you're saying? And so in Galatians chapter five, Verse 1, Paul says, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Remember, freedom in Christ, you're adopted into God's family, you're, you're a true inherit, and you have a true inheritance to the promises of God based on, on the basis of faith, not ethnicity. Uh, now there's no more boundaries, all the cultural boundaries that we tend to, to delineate between one another. God and Jesus Christ has smashed all of those. Freedom, belonging, identity, corporate identity, personal identity in Christ, all this theology, and then he's going to hang all of that and swing us open into why in the world that matters in our life. And here's why it matters. It is for freedom that you have been set free. But Paul goes on from there. And so I want to read actually verses one through six in chapter five. Uh, I I want to give you the reveal that I wasn't going to give to Jennifer (laughs) when she read. So, So here it is. Uh, I didn't want her to spoil it, right? So here, so here it is. 
Uh, Chapter 5, verse 1 through 6. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. For mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the entire law. You've been trying to be justified by the law and have been alienated from Christ, and you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await for faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Oh, now we're getting practical. Let me read verse 6 again. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Man. You see, Paul now is moving us into a more practical theology. And he spent a lot of time leading the Galatians to the point of understanding their position in Christ. That's what all of this, this whole thing is about. Where are you at in relation to Christ? And Paul wants to say, you are fully adopted by faith. And so here's the punch then. It is for freedom that you have been set free. And this immediately begs the question, what is Freedom. Or more specifically, what is freedom in Christ? What is he talking about when he's talking about freedom in Christ? Today I want to offer you two things that I think that Paul is really talking about when he says freedom in Christ. Because really this is, uh, this is the anthem of freedom. Of all of Paul's letters, he just harps again and again and again on freedom in Christ in Galatians. And so on the one hand, I want to say that freedom in Christ is is what we've been talking about all along, right? That that whenever Paul talks about uh, remaining in bondage to the law, he is saying that that is the same thing as being or remaining in bondage to sin. And he says, but you're you're free now from the law, therefore you are free from the, the burden, the bondage, and the slavery of sin, and you've been shifted into God's family and God's promises. And so on one hand, uh, he's been answering the question of what is freedom all along. He's actually just answering a question that he's been answering from the very beginning. And so on, on one hand, we want to say that freedom is in fact freedom from slavery to sin and adoption into God's family by faith. And the good news is, is that when we are adopted into this family by faith, the social boundaries that exist in culture in God's family are, or at least should be, erased. And all are welcome, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. And and can I just say to you that part of the beauty of God's design for the church is that people 
who would never come together or never have any commonality or common ground can come into a, a room or a gathering or a sanctuary and begin to offer up praise to their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on common ground. That everyone is brought to, to equality at the foot of the cross. That's part of the beauty of God's design for the church and how it must break the heart of God when we don't live that out. How it must break the heart of God when the, when the beauty that he designed for his community, that all, cultural bound, that all boundaries that exist in culture would be erased in the body of Christ, how it must grieve his heart when we not only uphold but make more stringent the boundaries of culture in the church. And so for us, sort of individually and personally, the freedom that we have in Christ is, is a freedom from the from the slavery of sin and the welcoming into God's family. I love it when I hear stories of people who say, you know, I never found a place where I could belong, where I could be myself, where I could feel like I don't have to carry around a bunch of shame and guilt for the things that I've done, the things that are in my past. I love when I hear, I love when I hear stories of I, I felt so isolated and alone, and then I walked into the church, and all those things disappeared, and I felt like people could look at me and love me for who I was. That's when the church is being the church. Church, right? I mean, that, that's, when we, that's when we recognize that all these sort of things and, and divisions that we create among people out there just simply aren't true in here. Of course, we won't always live that out perfectly, and it's a journey walking and pushing into that. But, but man, I love to hear stories of people who said, I was never welcomed anywhere. I never felt at home anywhere until I walked into the church. And I'm equally broken by the stories that I hear of people who say, I walked into the church, and I just couldn't bear it because I felt like I had to be a certain way, put on a certain face, wear a particular kind or style or brand of clothes. And it just felt like the whole thing was a show. And I couldn't even stand to be in there, so I left. It breaks my heart because God's part of the freedom that we are designed for in Christ is not only to be free from sort of the personal bondage to the sin that used to grip us, but part of the expression of our individual freedom in Christ is that we would be able to come together without boundary in the family of God. And so when we, when we talk about welcoming other people, we're, we, the, the, the conversation goes beyond just sort of what should we do or what kind of church do we want to be, it really becomes, are we allowing people to be free in Christ in this corporate setting? And I think we do a pretty good job. Now, of course, there's lots of things as a church that we could do and could work on, but I think we do a pretty good job. And so on the one hand, the, the, the Paul, the, what Paul is talking about when he talks about being free in Christ is it's freedom from something. It's, it's freedom from slavery. It's freedom from division or unnecessary division. It's freedom from slavery and sin. 
and the welcoming into God's corporate family and God's corporate body. But on, on the other hand, there's something else. He says in the passage that I just read, he says, if you go and get circumcised in order to, and now I want you to think of circumcision as a, as a way of earning your way into the inner circle. Right? And so he says, if you go and get circumcised in order to earn your way into the inner circle, then in fact you are obligated to the entire law. You see, Paul as a Pharisee knows that, man, once you dip your toe in the pool of the law, it's just like you're never going back. You just got to take a, you just got to dive bomb into the thing. Because it's like once you, once you start getting going in the law, then you just got to be obligated to the whole thing. And in fact, he says, if you're going to be obligated to the whole thing, what you're really trying to do is just be justified by the law. You're just going to try to make yourself okay through obedience to certain regulations. And he says, in fact, so, so if you go and do that, then you're obligated to the whole law. And if you're going to be obligated to the whole law, then you're just really trying to justify yourself based on outside regulations. And if you're trying to justify your, your worth by, outside, by following outside regulations, what you're doing is just an outright denial of God's grace. And, and I wonder for us, how many, of, how many times we are really just trying to justify ourselves by following particular rules, whether they are real or made up. <laughs> I, I think a good portion of us are trying to justify our, our, our worth based on what we can do or not do, the rules that we can follow. Man, I'm a rule follower. If the sign says stay off the grass, I'm like, there's a good reason for that. And some of you are like, what in the world, man? If the, if the sign says don't walk on the grass, you go and run on it. You go and jump on the grass, you know? And, and I married one like that. But the good news is, is she knew that she was marrying one like me when she said yes, right? And so, like, but there's, whenever we try, though, to justify ourselves by following the rules, God is saying you are outright denying the free grace of God in your life. And I think that that's something we still struggle with. I think there's people in this room still trying to justify your value based on following rules. And God wants to say, will you please just experience my grace and my love in your life. And if you follow the rules, that's okay. Just don't follow them to try to justify yourself. Don't follow them trying to earn my love because I love you already. And then I love this. For me, this summarizes Paul's whole argument up to this point. Verse 6. Neither circumcision or uncircumcision have any value in Christ Jesus. What counts is faith expressing itself through love. And so there's one dimension of freedom, which is freedom from something. Freedom from the grip of sin. Freedom from slavery. But there's a second dimension to freedom that I want to talk to you about today. And that is freedom to something. That Paul is inviting us into the freedom of Living with love. Freedom from sin and freedom to love. What matters, as he has said all along, is faith, right? I mean, all along he's been building this argument that through faith you are welcomed into the family of God. And so he says what matters is faith. And we're kind of like, yeah, we read that before, we got it. But now here's something new, right? We did the loop-de-loo, and now we're on the front edge of it. And he says, 
What matters is faith, but it's faith expressing itself through love. In other words, it is not a bare faith. It is not an empty faith. It is not simply giving credence to a set of beliefs. It is a faith that works. And some of you are like, well, that's totally against Paul. It is not faith that works. No, 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 no. And actually, I would want to say, yes, 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 yes. Paul says we don't earn anything, but but our faith must be an active faith, a living faith, a faith that does something. And so he says, if faith works through the law then our faith is based on nothing more than moral effort. But if our faith, and, and faith through effort is, is, is essentially slavery, and the very thing from which he's trying to set us free. And so he says, no, don't work out your faith through the law. That's slavery. Work out your faith through love. That's freedom. And so Paul is essentially saying to us, when it comes to how we express our faith, you have two options. Law or love. And if you choose to work out your faith through the law, it will lead you in a spiraling circle that will feel a lot like slavery. But if you choose to work out your faith in love, it will feel a lot and will in fact be freedom. And so Paul is inviting us into a faith that expresses Trust toward God and love toward others. If you want to know what it's like to live with freedom in Christ, I think part of what Paul would say is it's trusting God, expressing our trust in God, our faith in God. So we're going to trust in Christ's work on the cross for my identity, my confidence, my freedom, my righteousness. I'm going to practice my faith so that it looks like I'm trusting what happened at the cross of Jesus Christ. But then I'm going to take that and the way that that's changing me and shaping me and transforming me and shifting my perspective. I'm going to move that outward so that it expresses itself in love toward others. And if we can get that, then all of a sudden we can feel really, really free in how we practice faith. But it starts with, I got to trust God. I got to place my faith in God. And remember, faith is not credence to belief. It's trusting God. So I'm going to trust in God for my identity and my freedom and my righteousness and my confidence and all of those things. And then I'm going to express that in love toward others. And so the Gentiles under the law were, in fact, the outsiders. Under the law, they could not be let in. But then, through the love of Jesus Christ expressed through the cross, they were brought into the family of God purely on the basis of faith. In other words, the Gentiles are the radical or the recipients of God's radical love. And as the recipients of God's radical love, Paul flips the argument around and says, you who have received the radical love of God, go and express your faith in radical love to others. Amen? That's essentially what he's talking about and what he's doing. So he invites them to express that love to others. And he says circumcision, uncircumcision, these are the wrong things to be focused on. What counts is faith expressing itself in love. A love that is open to all, no matter what their ethnic origin, gender, or social status. And I would submit to you that you and I are also being invited into the freedom of expressing love toward other people. I would also beg the question and simply ask the question, I wonder what kind 
of circumcision, uncircumcision type arguments, we are getting caught all up in, all up in, yep, I said that. Um, And so we are getting caught up in from which Jesus wants to set us free. What a, I mean, I would just ask you the question. Think about this. What is a modern example of a circumcision, uncircumcision debate or type argument to which Jesus is just trying to set us free? And, and, and he would just say to us, you know what? This or that, it doesn't even matter. What matters and what counts is faith expressing itself in love. And so I'd want to say this to you, church. We, as the people of God, are called to love without condition, without boundaries, and without discretion. We, the church, the people of God, are called to love others without condition, without boundaries, and without discretion. We are simply called to express our faith in love. For it was the love of God that has welcomed you, Gentile, into his family. It is the love of God that has welcomed you into his family. Not by ethnicity or what you have earned, but simply by faith. And so now, as the people of God, let's go and love on the world. Thanks for listening to the Emmaus Road Podcast. We hope this message has been encouraging to you. If you'd like to support the ministry of Emmaus Road, you can do so online. Just visit theroadfc.org and click online giving.